Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you, find your way to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus 18 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, if you're in need of a Bible, there are some on the table, not on the stage. Those are for other people. But they're, okay, if you need one, take one. But there are some on the table. Take those. We'll send the other ones to other people in greater need. If you need a Bible, please, on the black tables back there, there are Bibles. If you need one, take one. If you know someone who needs one, please take it and give it to them. We should always be seeking to put the Word of God into the hands of people. At the Village Church, we exist for the glory of God, the advance of the gospel, and the growth of the body of Christ. We believe that the Word of God is able to do the work of God in the people of God. And so we take time every Sunday to open and examine the scripture. It's a pleasure to do so with you this morning. The work of God. We believe that the word of God is able to do the work of God in the lives of the people of God. What does God do? God delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. I didn't dismiss the kids. If you're waiting to be dismissed, kids four, five, and six years old, go to Children's Church and learn about Jesus this morning. If you already went, great. Maybe they went. I forgot to do that. It's still new, and I'm getting used to it. Thankful for so many participating. Delivering, redeeming, and dwelling with us. That is the work of God and the people of God. It happens in order that God may be glorified in us, by us, through us, all of life has one goal. I don't know what goal you may be living for this morning. I'm sure that many of us in here have goals that we're living for. There's only one, and that is the glory of God. Christians hundreds and hundreds of years ago knew this. That's why they asked the question, what is the chief end of man, right? Everybody asks this question. People in the world ask this question, what's the point? And hundreds and hundreds of years ago, Christians answered, The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is the ultimate goal of all life forms, especially humans. Humans, the apple of God's eye, so to speak. He chose to save us, sinners. Not animals, beasts of the field, birds of the air, fish of the sea. He didn't choose to save them. He chose to to save humans. He did so through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater goal, a greater thing that any person could live for than to glorify God. The work of God in our lives happens in order that we may glorify God, that he may be glorified in us, by us, through us, in the lives of others. Would you read with me Exodus chapter 18, We're going to read verses 1 through 12 this morning. That's what we're going to look at. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the other, the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness 
where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you in this time asking for your help. Father, that you would teach us and instruct us in your ways through what we see of Moses and his father-in-law and the Israelites in the wilderness. Father, I pray that through the teaching of your word this morning, we would have a greater understanding of you, a greater understanding of our responsibility to you, Father, and above all things, I pray that we may glorify you. Father, in preaching and teaching and singing in our fellowship this morning, God, I pray that your word would convict the sinner and humble them to repentance and salvation. I pray, Father, that the holiness of your people would be promoted. I pray, Father, that Christ, the Savior, would be exalted. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All that God had done. I entitled the sermon, All That God Had Done. If you're taking notes or highlighting as you go, look with me. Verse 1. All that God had done. Look down in verse 8. All that the Lord had done. Verse 9, all the good that the Lord had done. As I've been teaching us to be Bible students, I'm glad you're here growing in your Christian life. I also want you to be growing as students of the Bible. It's important to look at the Bible saying repetitive things. So in these 12 verses, when we see that statement very similar to just simply all that God had done, we now understand that all that God had done is a theme in this text of Scripture. All that God had done. We said in the opening, the work of God in our lives, all that God does, exists that we may glorify God, that he may be glorified in us in a greater way. We've established a couple of very simple things as we read these 12 verses without really saying much. We know that Jethro is Moses' father-in-law because Moses just said it to us a whole bunch of times. Like, I'm reading it this week, and I'm like, oh my goodness, how often are you going to tell us in these 12 verses? We got it. We knew back in Exodus chapter 2 that he was your father-in-law. But now, there is no mistaking. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is coming to see. I have one goal today, I hope, to show how it has always been God's plan to produce worshipers of his great name as his people talk about what he does. Now, that's not a really quick soundbite to write down, so I'll give it to you again. I hope that we will see in a greater way that God produces worshipers to the glory of his name as we, his people, talk about what he has done. If you are like me, that is a very challenging thought to consider. How often this past week 
did you spend time talking to someone about what God has done in your life? That confronts me. That, that comes to the door of my life and knocks in an unfriendly way because how often do we shrink back? We prayed, oh, Father, forgive us when we shrink back. But God produces worshipers. I mean, he saves people. And the saved become the worshiper. He produces worshipers of his name, gaining glory for his name as his people talk about what he has done. God uses the gospel through the testimony of our lives. Think about that. Every person in the room can think about that quickly what the history of your life has been. Maybe it's been okay. Maybe it's been a train wreck. If you're here today with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, living a life of repentance toward God and of faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel has come to you. You are saved through faith, by grace, according to mercy, and now God uses your either good or train wreck or somewhere in between life to share the gospel with other people to save them. I just want you to understand how awesome that is. If you're here this morning with faith in Jesus Christ, someone was faithful to share the gospel with you and very likely because of what God had done in their life. Testimony. We boil it down to the simple word of testimony. And it confronts me. How often are we talking about what God has done in our lives? This incident that we were watching, occurrence, situation, whatever, Exodus 18, 1 through 12, I wrote this down. I think this may be the first recorded moment of evangelism in the Bible. I, like, I just considered, and I didn't look hard, so somebody might come to me laughing and be like, oh no, pastor, what about Genesis, blah, blah, blah. Okay, maybe. This is the first one I could think of. Look at what happens, and then we'll talk about it. Look at what happens. God does something, someone hears about it. They come to you, those who God did something for, and say, what happened? The person that God did something for says, God did this. And the person who came asking what had happened turns and worships God because of what God had done in the life of that person. You follow? Joe came to Harry and said, Harry, you're different. What happened? And Harry said, Joe, I'm going to tell you right now. God delivered me from my bondage. He set me free. He what? He set me free. He took care of my enemies. He moved them out of the way. He brought me out of the cesspool that I was in, my sin, and he saved me. And Joe says, tell me more of this God. And becomes a worshiper of God when he through faith believes on Jesus and is saved. God produces worshipers. We don't do that. We don't produce worshipers. We are worshipers, and God uses us to produce more of them. It's God's discipleship plan is so simple, and we make it so complicated. Okay, let's look at it. Look at verses 1 through 7. Jethro, in the very beginning of the verse, heard of all that God had done. Now, he heard something specific, not just all that God had done. All that God had done, what? For Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, Jethro heard of all that God had done. Write this down. When God does, people will hear about it. When God does, people will hear about it. Does what? Anything. When God does anything, people are going to hear about it. When God saves, people 
people are going to hear about it. When God changes a life, when God regenerates a dead soul to new life through faith in Jesus Christ, people are going to hear. Why? Because the person who has been saved by faith changes. God changes those whom he saves. He sanctifies us. He purifies us. He conforms us to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't stay the same. Something changes. And when something changes, people notice it. So when God does, people will hear about it. Perhaps you have a testimony of being saved at a, at a, at a let's call it in your 20s or so. And you were living one form of life. Any form of life detached from God is vile and wretched, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all just sinners. You were living that life, and perhaps your testimony is God got a hold of me through preaching, through a men's retreat, through a thing, through someone knocking on my door and saying, do you know Jesus? May I talk to you about him? I don't know, but, but salvation came to you, and you changed. And perhaps everything you had done last weekend didn't happen ever again, and somebody said, what in the world? Right? People hear about it. Jethro heard about it. Jethro heard all that God had done. When God does, people hear about it. Now, in verses 1 through 7, Moses gives us this brief family update. We're aware of his family already. We met them back in Exodus chapter 1. At some point, uh, Moses was in Egypt. He left Egypt. He comes to Midian. He finds some women who are being harassed by some shepherd thief crooks. He intervenes for them and saves them. Jethro says, where is the man that saved you? They bring him in and Jethro gives Moses Zipporah, his wife. She bears him two sons. In Exodus chapter 1, we learn that one is named Gershom. He's named here. And then the second, Eliezer. Maybe he had more, but these are the two that Scripture names. When Moses, in Exodus chapter 2, encounters God at the burning bush, chapter 3, two or three, he meets God at the burning bush and God sends him back to Egypt. The Bible says that Moses takes his wife and his two sons and saddles them. Here we understand that what happened was they went back home with Jethro not to do with Moses the work that he was going to do. They go home so Moses and his family have been separated. If I think hard enough I could probably do the math while I talk but I'm not that, I'm too much of a head cold this morning. Somewhere between the time he was 40 and 80, he has, Zipporah's wife has children, returns to Egypt. So when he's 80 years old, he's separated from his wife for a season. And we know that Moses led Israel in the wilderness for 40 years, so they've been apart for a while. They're brought back together. In Exodus 2, we saw this relationship between Jethro and Moses as a good one. Maybe you remember nearly a year ago when we opened this book, Moses saves his daughters. Jethro gives him his wife. They have an amicable. Scripture shows us a good relationship. There's respect and there's reverence. Interesting here how we get a picture, very brief picture, of New Testament direction. What parent or grandparent doesn't love the presence of their child or their grandchildren? Now, I understand sin has broken a lot of things, and there are people out there who have strained relationships where nobody wants to be with anybody. I get that. But typically, parents love to be with their children, and grandparents love to be with their grandchildren. 
Interesting here, Moses says, or Moses receives this note from Jethro, I'm coming to you with your wife and your sons. Pastor, how does that relate to the New Testament whatsoever? Because in the New Testament, God says to us and to all Christians everywhere, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, not to your father, not to your uncle, not to some other man, to your own husband. And here Jethro is bringing his daughter to her husband. That's, that's a great picture of God's design in the order of marriage. Add to that, they have children. And Jethro says, Moses, here also are your children. Why? Because in the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20, flip the page over, the Bible says, God of his people, children, obey your parents. So we're getting this glimpse in the actions of Jethro. Moses, I watched out for them while you were in Egypt, while God was doing all of this, but God's order is that these are yours, not mine. And he takes them back. It's just, it's that simple, that quick of a snapshot that we see Jethro giving the wife, the two sons, back to Moses. This is going to become very interesting later in Exodus chapter 18. Interesting also, I noted the names of Moses' sons. Did you see it there? In verse 3, Gershom, I have been a sojourner, and Eliezer, the God of my father, was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Interesting how the names of Moses' children reflect the work of God in his life. Oh, Eliezer, that's an interesting name your dad gave you. Why'd he name you that? What's that mean? Gershom, Gershom and Eliezer, those are interesting names you guys got there. How did your dad come to name you that? And immediately from God's work in Moses' life, these two men as they grow have the ability to turn back and talk about the work of God. We're, we're here because God is good and this is what he did in the life of our father. Just thought that was interesting. We see this small picture of order as this family is reunited and it's a wonderful family reunion. It's interesting to me and maybe it is to you also how this family reunion focuses much more on the father-in-law and Moses than on Zipporah and the two sons. They're involved, they're part of it, but look at verse six. When he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him and they asked each other about their, of their welfare and went into the tent. So in this brief exchange, we see this brief glimpse of order and I wrote this down for you to think about and work to apply in your life. God is a God of order. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. Some versions say God of peace. Some versions say God of order, not disorder. Here's the deal. God is a God of order. Therefore, God's people are a people of order. For them then, for ethnic Israel, this had to do with the individual before God, the family unit, and then the nation. For ethnic Israel in Exodus chapter 18, order was me before God, then my family, then the nation. And our worship, which is going to be produced here out of the end of the book of Exodus. What is it for us today? We're not ethnic Israel. What is it for us today? It's interesting that it's very similar. It's, it's still us before God. And it's still my family. And then it's the church. And then it's everything else. That is God's order for his people. You can dispute it, but you're going to have to do something with God's word 
when God tells us, because of me, you obey the laws of the land. Well, then what? Wait a second. Then my standing before you trumps my obedience to the laws of the land. Correct. Your life before God, your family before God, your worship of God, both personally, privately, and corporately, and then your obedience to every other law under heaven, so as long as they don't compromise God's word. God is a God of order, and God's people are to be a people of order. This will be examined in the second half of Exodus 18, probably next week and who knows how many weeks after that, but we're going to look at it. God is a God of order. A quick word on the setting. It's really important. Just a quick passing word. Verse 5, chapter 18. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, you can underline this if you like, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. The mountain of God. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, Moses identifies the mountain of God as Horeb. It's at Horeb in Exodus chapter 3 where God calls to Moses out of the burning bush and commissions him as his leader of his people to go back to Egypt and to deliver his people. Moses, I'm sending you. That happens at Horeb. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 is where Moses says the mountain of God, Horeb, on the western side of the wilderness. Exodus 3, 2 and on, God speaks to Moses from the bush that burned but was not consumed. In Exodus 3.12, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, this shall be a sign for you. You will serve me on this mountain. I want you to understand the significance of the place that we're arriving at. That's the only reason I'm setting this up for you. Exodus chapter 17, verse 6, when Israel was out of water. Maybe you didn't pay enough attention to it. Maybe I didn't draw it out of the scriptures enough. God says to Moses, Behold, verse 6, I will go before you and stand on the rock at Horeb. There you shall strike the rock and water will flow and the people will drink. It's officially announced to us in Exodus chapter 19. That's how Moses wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But in Exodus chapter 18, verse 5, Pastor, why are you drawing this out? Because I want you to see God's faithfulness in doing what he says he will do. And in Exodus chapter 18, verse 5, when Moses writes the mountain of God, indeed, even in 17, when he says Horeb, we should be paying attention to the fact that God has done precisely what he said he was going to do. I will deliver you, and you will come out and serve me on this mountain. And here they are. Now, I understand, and we'll explain it later on in the book of Exodus. Pastor, I thought that was Sinai, the mountain of God. Sinai, Horeb, man, there's all kinds of information to read in the historical, philosophical realm of where they are, the geographical realm of where they are. This is how I likened it, and I've never been there. I've only flown over it. My brother-in-law used to live in Colorado Springs. He was stationed at Fort Carson. Anybody familiar with the area of Fort Carson in Colorado? There's a mountain there. They call it America's Mountain. Anybody know what it's called? You've heard of it. It's Pikes Peak. That's Colorado Springs, Fort Carson, Pikes Peak. If you look on an overhead, which is all I've ever done from a plane and on a satellite image on my computer, Fort Carson and, and Pikes Peak are like here, and then you've got the looming Colorado Rocky Mountains here and that whole range that stretches. I Man, I love geography. I was looking, I'm like, how can I liken Horeb, Sinai, one place? Because in Exodus chapter 19, we're going to read, they left 
Horeb and arrived at Sinai. It's like if you were in Vail and Aspen, you're at one mountain in two different places. Okay, so I don't want you to be confused later when it says in Exodus chapter 19, 1, they set out from Rephidim, because in Exodus chapter 17, it says they're at Rephidim, at Horeb, at the mountain of God, and then Exodus 19 says they left it. Remember that scripture is zooming in and looking, and zooming out and looking. You are getting narrative as Moses writes it to us. They're at the mountain of God, and as we see them come to the mountain of God, we see God's faithfulness in delivering them. As interesting as all of that is to me, We must not lose sight of what's happening and why Jethro came. Verse 1, Jethro heard of all that God had done. And then Jethro comes to Moses. When people hear what God has done, they want to know more about it. Jethro comes to Moses. Verse 8, then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done. If you're writing notes, when God does, people will hear about it. People hearing about what God does leads to our talking. When somebody asks you about what God has done in your life, you need to open your mouth and say words. That's not a moment to just, it's good, you know, yeah. Like, no, that's, that is shrinking back. Don't shrink back when people say, hey, what's this? What's that? I don't understand. I'm curious. I heard God is literally saying, talk to this person about me. Tell them about me and what I've done. Testify to my goodness in the life of this person. You're not finding yourself in this situation by any circumstance outside other than I want this person to know about me and I want you to tell them. That's awesome. God of all creation wants you to talk about him to that person who's asking. I hope that's a confidence booster for every person in this room the next time someone asks you about God. God wants you to talk about him with that person. So Jethro comes and they have this great reunion, this great embrace. And you'll notice at the end of verse 7 it says, they asked each other of their welfare. How you doing? Dad. Did Moses call him dad? Hey, Dad, sir, Jethro, sir, like what? No, I think it was like de- patriarchal society. We don't understand it here. They embrace. He's recognizing him as a man of influence in his life. They embrace. They talk. How you doing? How is it with you? And look at the end of the words, the end of verse 7. And went into the tent. You know what that is? Now let's get down to business. We got some stuff to talk about. We've got things to talk about. And there's a separation that happens. In this society, we don't understand it. Women and kids have a great time. The men have over here business to handle. That's what's happening at the end of this verse. They go into the tent and look what it says. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done. Dot, dot, dot. Moses, I've heard about what God did. Tell me. You have... Now, we should pay attention. You have my undivided attention, Moses, to tell me about what God did. Tell me. Should we wait until we have a person's undivided attention? Well, it's certainly helpful. I don't want to ever encourage anybody to wait in talking about God. But man, if you're able to sit down at great length and open a conversation and have dialogue at length with a person about what God has done for you, that's really good. Jethro and him going to the tent, they sit down. Moses told his father-in-law, all that the Lord had done. People hearing about God leads to our talking. News had spread. 
It got into the land of Midian. It got into the ear of Jethro. Jethro said, Zipporah, sons, boys, pack. We're going to get your dad right now. You're going back to your dad. Praise the Lord. You're going to your dad. It's time for you grandkids to go home to your dad now. We're going. They come. Tell me what he's done. Jethro wants to know more. And Moses is ready to talk about it. And look at what he talks about. Verse 1, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, twice in one verse. What did they talk about? The hand of the Lord delivered the people from Egypt. In this short series where, where this family reunion takes place and all this goodness is happening, here now five times, four times, you have one theme. All that God had, did, all that God had done in delivering the people from Egypt. Moses talks about how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. I want to help you. This is going to be, I'm going to show you, and then I'm going to give you one sentence to help you understand this in your life right now for later today and tomorrow, okay? Here we go. They come. Jethro wants to hear. What do you want to hear about? How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. You, me, us, we Christians must talk about God delivering us from bondage to sin. I don't know what to talk about. Talk about God saving you from bondage. What do most people in the world say about Christianity? I'm a good person. I'm not a sinner. I'm not bad. Why would God judge me? We're all bad. We're all condemned. All of us. None are holy. None are good. All have fallen. So what do we talk about? What do you go to church for? You know, I like it. What did you do yesterday? I hung out with some friends of mine. Why, why, why did you go, ladies? Why did you go on that retreat up north with those women in April when it's not great weather? Why didn't you save that time and go to Florida? You should wait for a summer vacation. Why did you do that? Because God delivered you from bondage. I don't know how to talk to people when they ask about God. Start with God delivering you. I once was lost, but now I see. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Talk about God delivering you from bondage. And think about all that Moses had to talk about here. Moses, I understand that God delivered you. What happened? You see, first, I was on the mountain, remember? I got this staff. Well, first, we took that staff and turned water into blood. All water everywhere. Now, think about it. Think about it. We've spent a year examining all that God did. Moses now in the tent is telling Jethro all that God had done in delivering them. The plagues, the death of the firstborn, the exodus from Egypt, the Red Sea. All that God had done in delivering Egypt, Israel from Egypt. What else did he talk about? All the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. Well, isn't that the same thing? Just talk about God delivering you from bondage? No, no, no. God delivered you from bondage by defeating your foe. Those are two different things. God delivered Israel from bondage by defeating their foe. Christian, person, listening, we have a foe, an ancient adversary, the Bible says. He seeks nothing good for us. He's not honorable. He does not fear God. What should I talk about with a person when they want to know more about what God has done in my life? Talk about God delivering you from bondage and talk about God defeating your enemy. We live in this space between bondage and the promised land with an enemy that is still attacking us, we just saw it happen, but whose ultimate end is over. God has shown his people 
Yeah, you got to struggle against that guy for a while, but I have the victory. Battles may be lost, the war will be won. That's how our culture would understand it. We're going to have some battles along the way, but the war is already taken care of. Talk about God delivering you from bondage. Talk about God defeating your enemies. Listen, I need you to understand something. I used to be addicted. I used to not be able to. I only could. Whatever it might be, God put that foe under his feet and defeated it for you, and that's something to talk about. I'm not what I used to be. God defeated those things. I see the victory of God in my life. Talk about God delivering you from bondage. Talk about God defeating your enemies. And lastly, look at the end of verse 8. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Well, what then? If he crushed, if he crushed Egypt in the Red Sea and they're dead, then what happened? Well, we got to this place and the water was bad. What'd you do? Well, the people tried to kill me. But God changed the bitter water and then led us to a place where there was bitter water. Then we didn't have anything to eat. What happened? God gave us food. Then we got to a place where there was no water at all and God brought water out of the rock. And then the Amalekites came along and started to attack us from behind. All the hardship. I'm telling you right now, last week was a great look at the Christian life. Here is a great testimony of the Christian life. God delivers you from bondage. God defeats your enemies and God brings you through hardship to the glory of his name. What do I talk about? When people ask about God, you talk about those things. God did them. You give God glory. Our talking isn't aimless. Talk about God. Proclaim Christ and him crucified from every corner of your life. You're not just sitting around waiting for someone to say, you know, life has been going really bad for me. Would you tell me the gospel of Jesus Christ? I doubt any of us will ever be asked that question. But how many of you this week will have someone say, I just don't understand. I just don't get why. You understand, Christian, they're opening the door for you in what they're saying. Walk through it. Preach Christ and him crucified. Paul said to the Corinthian church, I determined to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Preach the gospel always to yourself every day and to all those that ask, share Christ. God does, people hear People hearing leads to our talking about what God has done. Then look at verse 9. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. Bible students on Wednesday night, we talked about that word rejoice. Jethro was glad in what God had done. He rejoiced. He found himself encouraged. He found himself lifted up. He was glad. He was made happy about what God had done. Jethro rejoiced. Look what it says down in verse 10. Jethro, blessed be the Lord. That's, that's worship. Down. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Jethro heard about what God had done. He came and asked Moses about what God had done. Moses talked about what God had done. And Jethro then rejoiced and worshipped God for all that God had done. Write this down. God's doing is a reason to worship. 
Didn't we just worship we were singing? No, I mean every day of your life, every minute of the day, worship God. Not come to church and sing. Not even necessarily come to church at all, but definitely come to church where we gather and worship God together. We worship God and Jethro hearing about all that God had done produces worship from Jethro to God. And look at not just Jethro, look at Moses, Aaron, and all the elders of Israel come and eat food with Jethro before God. There is a whole big worship service happening at the mountain of God as Jethro hears about all that God had done. God's doing is a reason to worship. The only, I wrote down this extremely uncomfortable sentence, and now I'll share it with you and you can be as uncomfortable as me. The only right response to the work of God, even to the knowledge of God, the only right response to the work of God is worship. Any other response outside of worship to God for what God does is wrong. Any response. The only right response is worship. Pastor, I don't know, man. Bad things happen in life and we should worship. Job did. Tell me if your life has been worse than Job's. He fell and he worshiped, Job tells us. If you're not worshiping God, here's where it gets uncomfortable. If you're not worshiping God, at a minimum, you are robbing God of the glory he deserves. If you are not worshiping God, at a minimum, you are robbing God of the glory he deserves. Or, I would say at worst, but I'm not sure it is at worst because there's a whole lot of ors you could do. Or, you are worshiping something that is not God. I think it's worse. No, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's idolatry. If you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something else, period. That's uncomfortable. If you're not worshiping God, at a minimum, you are robbing God of his glory. You may see that he's God. You may say that he's God. You may live your life in a way that he is God. But if you're not worshiping God, you are robbing God of the glory he deserves. Or you are worshiping something else, which is also robbing God of the glory he deserves, that is not God. And what might that be? Maybe it's yourself. Maybe the God that you worship, instead of worshiping the God of heaven, is you. Maybe the way that you feel or think about life. The things that make you comfortable. I like me. I like my own. I like my people. Are, are you thankful for God's blessing or are you worshiping you? Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's some other person. Maybe it's some other thing. People do this all the time. Like this is not surprising to us that have been in church for a long time, students of the Bible for a long time. People worship all sorts of gods. Jethro had other gods he could have worshipped. Look what it says right here in the text, verse 11. I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Like in this moment, Jethro is like, nope, God's greater than all of them. He had other gods he could have ascribed worship and glory to. This is such a big deal. Listen. If you say that the Lord is the God of your life, I pray that you are living that statement. Because to do anything else is to violate the first and foremost commandment. It happens in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. 
Well, pastor, that's the Ten Commandments. You're exactly right. And Jesus says the commandments are all summed up in these two things. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. That's it. The law, all the prophets, everything hangs on those two things. And it starts with, you shall have no other God. If you are not worshiping God, at a minimum, you are robbing God of his glory. Stop robbing God of his glory and worship him for what he has done. Or you are worshiping something else and that idol needs to be smashed, as we will see happen. Listen, listen. We're in Exodus 18. In 32 or 34, it's 32. In Exodus 32, in the very wilderness... At the very mountain of God, these people are going to make an idol out of gold and worship it. And you think you're different somehow. And I think I'm different somehow. It's so easy to make an idol and worship something other than God. However, praise God for Moses. Praise God for faithful witness and testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. The testimony of Moses about all that God had done left Jethro standing, sitting, I don't know, in the tent. And what did he do? He had to consider. He had to think about. He had to weigh out everything that God had done. And at the end of it, he says, the Lord is greater. The Lord is greater. I wonder, is your testimony of God's work in your life that convincing? Lord, yeah, I know. When you open your mouth and you speak about all that God has done, are people left actually considering the greatness of God? Or are they just like, hmm, sounds great? I mean, are you adorning the gospel of Jesus Christ by lavishing glory on God for pulling you from the cesspool that you were in? And coming to the end of your explanation of all that God has done and finding, God did it all. And the person just is left with, to God be the glory. God is using us to produce worshipers of his name as we talk about the good things of God and what he has done for us. Is your testimony of God working that convincing? Are people coming because they've heard about something that God has done? Are they asking you to tell more? When you explain more about what God has done for you, are they left convinced that God is greater than all other gods? Do they see God as greater than the problems and struggles of their lives? Do they see God as able to overcome all of their foes, to deliver them from bondage, to bring them to this place of rest? Because here's the deal. Where are they going? To the promised land. The mountain of God is a stop on a journey. Where are they going? The promised land. Yeah, Jethro, I'm going to tell you right now, man, it's been something to watch what God has done, but this isn't all. We're not at the end. In fact, we're just at a resting point right now. God said we're going to his eternal rest. When you come to the end of your testimony of Jesus Christ, are people convinced of eternity with God as far greater than anything in this life, or are they just like, mm, and they walk away? That's not on you, holy because salvation is God's work, and the Holy Spirit of God stirs in the hearts of people. The Bible says the Holy Spirit brings dead souls to new life. But are you convincing enough in your testimony of what God has done in you that people are left to do nothing but go, oh my goodness, I repent before a holy God. Forgive me, Lord. Save me. Well, I mean... 
It'd be easy if we had a story like the Israelites do. Think about all that Moses got to talk about. I'm sorry, excuse me, for one moment. You have the exact same story. The exact same story. In bondage, delivered from it. Saved, redeemed by the blood of a lamb. Foes defeated as he leads you through this life. Every obstacle and hardship in the way, he's leading them through it. Taking you to a promised land. Don't sit in your life and think, well, must have been good for them. I wish I had that story. You do. You do. How often do we tell it? How often are people hearing about what's happening in our life and asking us because they've heard of some change about us, around us? How often are people inquiring about, because our life is so radically and so drastically different from every other form of living on the face of planet Earth because we know there's something greater. And they're coming and saying, tell me more. What has God done? People are responsible for what they will do with the news that they hear. But God has told us, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ peculiar way that God saves sinners is the word of God on the mouths of the people of God. Go. Do you understand, though, what we're seeing here is that this isn't something waiting around for Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. It was happening with Moses in the wilderness at the mountain of God. Talk about the goodness of God. Go. Proclaim Christ. God is holy. We are sinners. Our only reconciling, our only reconciliation to a holy God is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe this? God, man, Christ, response. It's that simple. Do you believe that? If you sit here today and you say, I don't know, please don't leave without talking to someone. Steve, John, Mark, Francisca, ladies singing, people out here, green lanyard folks, don't walk out the doors without answering, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do, you've been warned. You have a response to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to make. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? When the gospel goes forth and falls on the ears of those whom God is saving, they, like Jethro, run into the wilderness to hear more and become worshipers of God. When God does, people hear. When people hear, we talk. When we talk, God produces worshipers to his name. Father, I come before you today praying, God, that we would be people who glorify your name. Praying, Father, that you would give us the strength, forgive us for the times that we shrink back. Father, strengthen us to talk about the good things you have done in delivering us from bondage, in defeating our foes, into overcoming hardship, into leading us to your eternal rest. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this example of this family reunion in the wilderness where all that you had done was all that was talked about and it produced worship to your name. Oh God, may we be a people that talks about all that you have done and may we see people respond in worship. Father, we praise you in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at the Until next time, stay in God's word.